broadcasting from just south of Los Angeles, California. This is the Veggie Power Podcast, exploring topics relating to working out, powerlifting, and everyday advice for lifting and living well. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Contorno. All right, let's veg out. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode number three, numero tres. That's all I got. I'm going to talk about eating disorder and sport. I'm going to divulge into some of my personal history with my eating disorder of like 17 plus years and talk about some other complexities that go with it. You guys asked some great questions to me on Instagram and I'm going to try to address as many as I can, honestly, because this topic is really sensitive to me and I care a lot about it. And I've had some ups and downs with my own complexities. And I want to, even if I help one person with this podcast, that's going to be fucking cool. So I just want to share my experience and a lot of things I've learned along the way. But first... In the news, I want to address what's been going on with me lately since my last podcast. Um, first of all, over a thousand of you have listened to me talk, so that's cool. Thank you for sharing and downloading, and I have like a couple reviews even. No, nobody wrote any word reviews, but I got like some five stars. It probably was just me because every time I share it to someone, I give myself five stars and I'm like, I hope it counts. <laughs> but I really appreciate you guys listening and uh, giving me positive feedback. I've got a lot of DMs about um, my two podcasts that I put out so far with mostly positive feedback. So in my world, this past weekend, I competed in the San Diego Fit Expo, and my oh my, was it fucking amazing. So I coach lifters and power lifters specifically for the most part is my clientele, and a lot of them are newer, and I just always harp on the fact that the meat is never going to go the way you want it. And for example, this was my 12th competition. Out of the 12 times I've competed, this is the only one that's ever gone the way I wanted. Only one. So it took 12 tries to get there and three years. Uh, Just, you know, go there and have fun. And if you get a relative total around what you're trying to get, that's par for the course. It's, It's the exception to go in and hit every number you want and get that total that you want, but it's a great feeling. And that's what we strive for as powerlifters is to be better and be successful. But don't kill yourself if it's not every single time, because that's why you get three tries at each lift and why competing is so fun because you are trying to get you know, to that level where you achieve those successes. Um, In this meet in particular, I won best lifter, which was cool. I also won best lifter in the LA Fit Expo. So that's two in one motherfucking year, y'all. The competition was not as stacked as it was at the LA Fit Expo, but I really wasn't going into this meet with, you know, the expectation of or wanting to win the overall. That was like an added bonus. What I wanted was some records. I have you know, accepted the fact that I'm in a higher weight class, which I will talk about later on. But competing as my 165 debut, I wanted to take the squat record 
and the bench record and the total for the state of California. I cannot touch the deadlift record. The 165 weight class deadlift record, um, this chick named Aisha, who's strong as fuck, has it at 529 pounds. It's the highest deadlift record out of every single weight class in the state of California, period, even the super heavies. So she can keep that and she deserves it. But I did end up with a 1,166 pound total. I squatted 429 pounds, I benched 286 pounds, and I deadlifted 451 pounds. Everything was a PR in every category, and I'm just still elated about how the day went, and I'm still sore as fuck, and it was Saturday, and now it's Thursday, so my body is loving this week off that I am taking right now. And there wasn't a lot of people that came to this meet compared to like Bossa Bosses. I had people who like flew in and drove up and it was like so beyond comparison, just like the support that I had. But so it was unique in that experience that it was just like, I was really, really focused and I wasn't, you know, putting on a show. It was just like me and Steven and Brent and Michelle and I wouldn't have had it any other way. It was awesome. So Thank you guys all for the support. And it was also my birthday weekend. Like, what a way to bring in 31. Yes, I'm old as fuck. 31. And uh, went out to this place called Catch LA this week. And that was fucking cool. If you're ever in LA and you want to go to an amazing experience, bring your credit card and bring your stomach because it's going to fill them both up. I was very, very thankful that our friends Louis or Luis and Monique uh, took us there for my birthday on Tuesday. It was an amazing experience. Steve and I don't really get to, not that we don't get to, but we don't really go out too much. We're a little bit of hermits trying to balance everything as far as lifting and the gym. And we kind of seclude ourselves to just like going to the movies. So it was nice to get out of our comfort zone and do something special. Okay, so enough about personal updates. Let's get into the biz, why you came here to talk about food and stuffs. So personally, I am in recovery for bulimia. I am of the belief that when you have an eating disorder, once you stop, you're not just free of it. Um, I Some people have the mentality of once it's over, it's over and you aren't that you know, whether it's drugs or food addiction or anything like that, but it's a constant part of my life. And I feel like I'll carry that with me forever and using my strategies to manage it. So hi, I'm Ashley and I'm a bulimic. Um, I thought about all the stories I could share about my bulimia and I picked a few I'm going to talk about that are pretty nasty to give you a perspective on how dark and deep this disease or any disordered eating disease can go. So I wanted to start off with kind of my history with the disorder. I might talk a little more than I should about all this, but I think maybe it'll give perspective of just how easy something so benign can become, you know, malignant or cancerous in your world and in your life. I would say out of all the people that I know and what I do know about eating disorders is it's a coping mechanism just as, you know, people utilize drugs and alcohol to cope with certain life situations. You don't just wake up one day like, oh, I think this is a great 
way to live life, it's, it's usually because there's some kind of pain or something that happened to you in your world that now this is a tool and strategy to manage those feelings. I was introduced to bulimia when I was about 13 years old. I was with a friend and we were having a sleepover and she was like, hey, Ashley, I figured out this amazing thing you can do. And I was like, what is that? And she's like, you can eat whatever you want and then throw it up in the toilet. And I was like, all right. So we binged together and threw up together. I know that sounds fucking crazy, but I mean, 13 years old, we both had, you know, some body issues. Your body's going through a lot of changes at that time. And it was a really good way to, you know, quote unquote, stay skinny. Um, My eating disorder was not historically in the form of how I felt about the way that I looked, more so than I used it as a coping mechanism. When you are bulimic or in my personal experience, the the feeling of you know being satiated and full and all those warm and fuzzies that go with it and then the guilt and shame that ensues after um and then having that purge and releasing all of that and all of those feelings it it in the moment and at the time it was pretty euphoric and it worked for me so why was i using it as a coping mechanism so from the age of 13 Through the age of 24-ish, I was bulimic as fuck. It had ebbs and flows of better and worse times. Um, Near the end, it was really, really bad. But the long and short of it is I used it to cope with my feelings of abandonment. So not that I was like, you know... A homeless child left on a stoop. But historically in my life, the relationships I've had with people that have become close to me, whether it's my family or friends, um, have left me in a vulnerable position that is more emotionally alone than physically alone. Um, I ain't trying to bash my parents because they did the best that they could. But my dad moved away to Florida when I was around that age, honestly, 13, 14 years old. And he's been there ever since. Um, my mom, when she was, or when I was around 18, 19, um, she moved to South Carolina without telling me at first. And the relationships that I had with men at that time, I got cheated on. I bought a house uh, with my high school boyfriend when I was 19. And then a couple months into that, he like had some girl over and was cheating on me and my motherfucking hose. So I have a problem at the age of 31 now being vulnerable because I have felt historically that anytime I've put myself in a vulnerable emotional state that it was kind of shit on. So for some reason, my brain decided to use uh, bulimia as a coping strategy because I didn't feel as a smart as a fucking woman that I am. I didn't feel that I had the capacity to reach out and get advice. And my life has kind of always been a whirlwind of moving faster than I can keep up with it. You know, buying a house, grad school, working full time, you know, undergrad, grad school, then, and so 
things just got out of hand and I felt like bulimia was my friend. So I really didn't want to get rid of it for a while because there was something about it deep inside that made me feel good. If I get emotional as I'm talking about this, I ain't sorry. (laughs) Now, um, cut to 2019 real quick. I am in therapy. Now I'm super fucked up. No, just kidding. Um, I realized that I never really sought professional help. Having an eating disorder isn't normal. Having, you know, those kinds of feelings and not looking and exploring and discovering the reasons for why they happened and why they continued and having better strategies to cope with those things is important. So I've been in therapy probably for about four months with an eating disorder specialist, and which is the reason why I have such great perspective now on the things that I was using for my eating disorder. And it's really, really, really helped me grow as an individual and also changed my perspective on how I look at future situations, just in general outside of my eating disorder. So I told you guys I was going to tell a few stories. Um, The one that always comes to my mind that like in the moment it wasn't gross and looking at it now, I'm like, what the fuck were you thinking? But there was actually several occasions that this happened, but I was at a Carrabba's, which if you don't know what that is, it's like a open fire grill. It's a chain restaurant, kind of like an Olive Garden, but more for like shit that goes on the grill. This is when I used to eat meat. And I was with my ex-husband and we were in dinner and almost every interaction that we had where we went out together was just like miserable because there wasn't any love or emotional currency there. We were just like really, really trying for something that wasn't ever going to happen. And we got dinner and I got dessert and I just like ate till I was stuffed. And I think I had a martini, which was very unusual for me or some kind of cocktail or something. And then I went to the restroom to go purge and it was like where there were stalls. So I couldn't get to a sink. So I stuck my hand in the motherfucking toilet and used the toilet water to wet my mouth to throw up. What the fuck? Don't worry. I don't have any diseases at this time. I got checked for all the toilet diseases available. And like reflecting on that now, it's just like, oh my God, you're a fucking crazy person. How could you do that? But in the moment, my total body was consumed with purging what was in my stomach as a relief and relief. My eating disorder was the worst when I was married to my ex-husband because it was a total improper relationship. Like it just wasn't meant to be. We didn't love each other. I know this for sure. And it was just like a relationship of convenience. And I was, so he didn't emotionally abandon me, but there was just no emotion or love there. And I was relying on this relationship to kind of make me happy so much because I didn't have other solid relationships in my life, whether it was with my family and friends and things like that. So my eating disorder kind of became my bigger friend and it got out of control. So out of control. I remember There was a time I had some of my physical therapy friends from school over and we were watching movies and stuff. And maybe there was like five of us and they were all asleep. And I remember eating like a whole 
almost an entire loaf of like banana bread or something and then going to purge. And then in the morning, one of the chicks woke up and she's like, oh my God, I didn't realize we ate all this yesterday because it was like something she had brought. And everybody was like, yeah, I didn't eat it. I didn't eat it. And I'm like sitting there like, oh, well, I fucking ate the whole motherfucking thing, you guys. (laughs) But it's just so crazy how you feel so outside of yourself. And like those characteristics don't really like an addict, right? Addicts do weird fucking things to get drugs. And so I would spend... My, I had a routine. I worked as a bartender and I would leave, this was in grad school, and I would leave my job around, you know, 2 a.m. sometimes, go to this thing called Sheets, which is like a gas station that has a lot of food and like some made-to-order food and stuff. I'm saying that because there's not really Sheets in California, and a lot of y'all are in California listening to me. And I would probably spend like 20 to $30 in food, like donuts, ice cream, cereal, milkshakes, whatever. And then I had like a 15 or 20 minute drive home. I'd eat it all on the way home. And then I'd get home and immediately throw it all up and then go to bed. And that was like my routine of feeling satisfied and okay with myself. Now here's the crux. All of all the questions that I got from you guys, almost all of you asked about binge eating, binge eating. But I want to classify here first kind of what delineates an eating disorder. Obviously, if you're throwing up, you know, after you eat, that is classic bulimia, but it's, you know, and then some people binge eat, but it's the feelings of negativity, self-hatred, and negative self-talk that perpetuate after you've performed that activity is what really, really identifies as an eating disorder. So having a binge and eating a lot and being like, oh man, I shouldn't have ate that. Like, you know, and it's a one-off or something or binging. And then, you know, for several hours after touching your stomach and pinching yourself and looking yourself at the mirror and having all these negative thoughts and feelings, just be like, I can't believe you did that. Like, who the fuck are you? You're so disgusting. You're a pig. That's the issue. And that's where the eating disorder lies. My therapist has tried to have me figure out where my eating disorder lies now. Um, And it's really in control. And when I feel like I don't have control of my life or my eating is when I feel those emotions again. Like I said, just because I'm not binging and purging now doesn't mean that it's not ever present in different areas of my life, especially being in a weight-restricted sport. So I think that's enough about me. Oh, no, I lied. I tried to get help by self-help. I w- uh, went to the library, and I remember getting all these audiobooks. I had like a 45-minute drive to college, um, which it was like 40 miles. So imagine that, California, 40 minutes, 40 miles. And I listened to... They weren't like self-help books, like how to stop putting your hand down your mouth. It was um, some nonfiction stories about people, um, you know, talking about their eating disorder and cataloging their history with bulimia and things like that. And I identified with a lot of the stories, but to be honest... When I got a divorce from my ex-husband and I stopped lying to myself about where I was emotionally is when I really was freed from that. So really getting to the crux of the emotional issue of why I was 
really suppressing those feelings of I'm just not happy with food, shoving it down my fucking face. And I made the decision to say, I'm going to travel and I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. And that changed my outlook on what I needed to do with food and with my life. So I'm entitling this podcast Eating Disorder and Sport in the sense that now being removed from my eating disorder, I am still in a weight restricted sport. And I was in a physical appearance sport before of bodybuilding, and now I'm in weight class categories. And I've noticed, and I've talked to so many women who identify and have had similar issues. And to be honest, you guys, these kind of sports and activities can create disordered eating and disordered relationships with food, whether or not you're using it as a coping mechanism or, you know, some higher form of something going on with you. When you do participate in bodybuilding and you're dieting down for things like that of nature, that nature, or, you know, competing in powerlifting and same thing, it can severely distort your reality with your body and your food. Uh, Bodybuilding specifically, you end up turning into an object more than you do a person. And you're objectifying each and every little piece of your body as like, this tricep needs to be that. And, you know, I need to see more striations here. And you almost remove yourself emotionally from your physical performance and your just, you know, physical appearance. And using food as a tool and obsessing over food and what you're going to eat and when you're going to eat it and all this stuff, it can fuck you up. So I know all too well. Oh, one more story. I'm sorry. My first bodybuilding show ever, it was NPC. I think I came in 11th out of 17th, which I was actually kind of stoked about because I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I didn't even know like what call-outs were, first call-outs, second call-outs, whatever. But they, it was when Quest Bars first came out. And they gave us these like goodie bags with every single flavor that was out at that time. So what did your girl do in between the day show and the night show? Your girl ate all of them. And then I tried to throw up again in a public toilet by sticking my hands in the actual fucking toilet. And it didn't work. And I was so upset. I was trying to throw up so hard that my um, submandibular glands, it's like the glands right under your jawline, got so swollen. My face got swollen. My eyes got red. And I was just like, fuck, I am fucked. But good thing all the judging happens in the day show, right? Bodybuilding joke. The biggest thing that I got questions about, as I mentioned before, was binge eating and how to stop binge eating. But what needs to happen more is discovering your relationship with food and why it is the way it is and what you're using those binges for. So are you out of control because you've been restricting yourself for so long that this is your wild, wild west time and you want to eat everything that's in sight? Or, you know, are you feeling emotional and you're using this binge to help with those emotions? Or do you just not control yourself around certain foods and you just can't? Well, In my experience, the best thing that you can do is figure out what works for you. For example, I cannot have tortilla chips in the house. I know this sounds stupid. And if you don't have an issue with food, some of this stuff sounds ridiculous. But if you do, you're identifying with me right now. Um, 
tortilla chips, I just can't control myself around them. And that's an aspect of my personality and my eating disorder. So although it's not necessarily like an emotional-based thing, it's just I can't. So I know, and maybe this is how my recovery looks, is that I just don't have food items like that in the house and I eat them on special occasions. Now, what is negative or what I could do that would not be a healthy strategy or relationship is okay, I have tortilla chips in the house and oh my God, I cannot stop myself from eating them and I'm going to eat the whole bag tonight if they're here. I would like crunch them up and put water in it and then throw it in the garbage so that I knew I wouldn't eat it because otherwise I would be obsessing about that food. So those are kind of things that I'm working on right now with my therapist is having what I call fear foods around me so that I can get more comfortable. But that may or may not ever happen, tortilla chips. Okay, one day, maybe. And that I feel like for me is separate from my uh, binging and purging and bulimia in that in our Western culture, we are a food-centric society. We are a body image-focused society. So all of these things, especially for females, put additional layers of pressure with consumption of food. And we also are a diet culture. So we have all these food products that are labeled as safer and reduced and this and that. So you think it's okay to eat more of it because it has one-third less fat and calories when you should have just ate one regular cupcake instead of 16 reduced fat ones, okay? Not everybody has a perfect relationship with food because of all these reasons. We are an obese nation and it's just a fact of life, but adding on the additional layer of having an eating disorder does make it harder. So I wanted to mention first about some coping strategies or things you can do to possibly heal yourself and maybe your relationship with food. And some of the things that I found to be successful are journaling. And it doesn't necessarily have to work in the form of a pen and paper because I ain't got time for that. But I'm all, even in my physical therapy practice, I'm all about functional. I don't like prescribe people specific exercises because let's be honest, y'all, nobody fucking does that. But I'll say, oh, when you're already doing this, add X, Y, Z. So same thing goes for me with journaling. I walk the dogs to the gym and very frequently I will do an audio journal of whatever I'm feeling. Just get those feelings out into the ethers. If it's something I'm trying to work through mentally or emotionally, sometimes just talking out loud about it. Maybe you look like a crazy person, but I do live in San Pedro, so I fit in really well just talking to myself. And just it, even if you don't go back and listen to it, getting those feelings off of your chest, whether they're positive or negative, just talking about where you're at in this world. If you like to journal, writing it down is a great strategy you can use as opposed to letting something well up inside of you for any period of time. Another strategy is to ditch the scale. When I am not in prep, I only allow myself to weigh myself every two weeks because it can become obsessive, just like logging food can become obsessive. I remember pre, when I was bodybuilding, like pre-logging what I was going to eat like six days in advance and like timing it out and adding the calories and just constantly thinking about what I was eating. I realize now I missed out on so many events of my life because I was thinking about food more than I was present in the moment. Like a lot of people have trouble with holidays. You know, the plethora of food 
being around you and not being able to control yourself around it, which is something that I also struggled with and I still struggle with, you know, those aspects of control with some finger foods and fucking tortilla chips and things like that. But making sure, so what I do with that and something I've been working on is pre-visualizing what you're going to eat. So you arrive at a space or a place and say it's at dinner and you, you know, we have huge portion sizes. So you get your plate you can either visually look at the plate and decide I'm going to eat this, this, and this. You could draw a fucking line with your fork and push some items to the side. You can say, I'm going to eat this and leave this. You can ask for a to-go container, to-go container, right? When you get your food and then put away what you don't want to eat immediately. So then you have the portion that you selected in front of you. And I know this, like some people are gonna be like, Oh no, throw it away. Um, you could just throw that food away and just say, I don't want this. Um, or try to, if you do live in San Pedro and there's some homeless, give it to the homeless on the way home or something like that. But that strategy has helped me. Another thing I like to do, which is a learned behavior from the therapist, is leaving a symbolic bite. So I'm Italian and my grandmother told me, I want to see the flowers in your dish, AKA the bottom of the plate, no matter what I was eating. And you know, you still have half the plate left and it's like, okay, you want more? You're still hungry. Um, And that's a lot of, you know, cultural things, but leaving a bite intentionally is a display to me that I have more control over the food than it does of me. And I really enjoyed doing that. And at first, when that was presented as a challenge to me, I couldn't do it. It like pissed me off to even think about leaving a bite of food just because. But now I do it every once in a while. And when I do it, I feel powerful over that food as, you know, I'm not going to die from not eating one bite. You know, the macros will be okay. And uh, it just makes me feel good. Another strategy is say you're at home and maybe you're like mindlessly eating, whether it's your lunch or a snack or something like that, choosing to stop at a halfway point through your meal or your snack and putting it away. Even if you set a timer or you decide in your mind in 15 to 20 minutes, I'm going to come back to this. And if I'm still hungry and I want it, I will choose to eat it then. So again, that's another way to give yourself some power over the food and to stop the mindless eating cycle. So speaking of mindlessness, let's talk about mindfulness. Something else that I've been trying to do, more so with my breakfast than anything, I like eating a big-ass breakfast, y'all. Like if I'm eating 2,500 calories for the day, like 1,000 will be my breakfast. And it's just how I roll. So I try not to like listen to podcasts or watch TV or be preoccupied as I am eating that food. So that way I can think about what I'm chewing and be mindful with the taste and the flavor and the texture so I can enjoy it and be present in that moment. And, you know, instead of like looking down and before you know it, your food's gone because you weren't paying attention, you're in the moment with that food and you're making the conscious decision to enjoy what you're eating. And All of those things have helped me a lot. Maybe they will help one or many of you, and that would be cool. Something else I kind of feel like this goes along with what I was just talking about is, you know, like the mindless eating, comfort eating, stuff like that. So I feel like if your relationship with food isn't, you know, if you have any of those like obsessive or obtrusive or, you know, guilty negative thought process going on, then... It's a conscious decision that you need to make about what food you're going to surround yourself with, meaning in your home, if you 
do not have control over the food that's in your home, sorry, I don't really have a strategy for you there, but if you know that you can't eat the tortilla chips, don't buy the tortilla chips. And something that has been mentally freeing for me is you know, deciding one day a week that I'm going to have myself a meal, whether it's at home or out to dinner, it's usually out to dinner, that is a, you know, no counting, no guilt, no shame. It's, you know, something I'm looking forward to. Maybe I found this cool place on Instagram or something I want to go to. And that's my release where I get that food and it's exciting and it's something different. And, you know, variety is great as opposed to having those kind of foods in the house that I could possibly overeat on and then have feelings of guilt and shame and negative self-talk with. So I think one of the best things you could do is surround yourself with more healthful choices. But there is a fine line of cutting out different food groups and things like that. You know, just avoiding those foods altogether isn't a good strategy. But incorporating fear foods into your life can be beneficial. So As I said about the tortilla chips, that's a no for me, dog. But I've been working on other things, like maybe it's like some cookies or something like that. Like it's something I enjoy, but I wouldn't like eat a whole fucking box of cookies. But I might like every time I go to the kitchen, have a cookie. And then by the end of the day, I've had like seven and I'm like, shit. So just working on... um, I've done it a couple of times with like, uh, I think I had like a box of chocolates in the house. Right now I actually have cookies in the fridge. And it's more like for me, I don't want that mental feeling of like, I know the cookies are in the fridge and I want to go eat one and kind of obsessing all day about having that food in my world and I'm not eating it. So I have control over the situation. Um, But right now, like it doesn't bother me. And it took a while to get to that. So maybe it's like you buy single serving items that you can have. So like maybe your thing is like cereal, like you eat way too much cereal. So you buy like a single serving thing of cereal and you keep that in the house and you eat that when you want to and it's one serving. And that's a a good way to start incorporating those kind of foods without having, you know, a bunch of things readily available. Now, for those of you ladies or gents who have children and have all those kitty goodies, I don't know, man, Good thing my dog, I only have dogs and they eat dog treats and I ain't into dog treats. So we're good there. So I don't really have a strategy for that, but I do really think that incorporating the foods that do scare you on a small level, step-by-step can be a way to kind of recover from having the desire to have them all the time. Another strategy along with like binge eating could be replacing the habit with something else. So maybe possibly your binge eating is a part of some kind of routine. Maybe you can break that routine with, you know, a nightly walk or some, you do Sudoku, I don't know, fucking look up crocheting. Not necessarily something that you have to get totally out of your comfort zone for, but some other kind of routine that you can fulfill and do as an alternative activity for when you used to binge. Maybe you don't sit on the couch and watch TV from 7 to 9 p.m. Maybe you need to find something else to consume your brain and be more creative and expressive so that you aren't just, you know, thinking and perseverating on food. There also is the opposite end of the spectrum, which like what my big boy husband is on. And I got some questions about this as well, about someone who has to overeat in order to be in a competition. And 
I wouldn't say that's, you know, an eating disorder, but it is a version of disordered eating where you're stuffing your pie hole all day long to try to gain the mass. But honestly, I feel like that is more, it's a conscious decision you have to make every single day to want and need to do that. And you put your body in some really uncomfortable situations. And I feel like if you are predisposed to having some disordered eating or negative self-talk, that can definitely play into it. Overall, I feel that if you personally think you have an issue with food, you probably do. And there are many, many people and avenues and things of that nature out there that you can talk to. I wish I would have talked to someone so much earlier. And it just is freeing and liberating to not necessarily have my thoughts validated, but to really figure out why I'm doing what I'm doing and how not to do it. So don't be afraid. Don't think that you shouldn't. Like I've been free of my eating disorder for a long time and I still feel like I need this help and boy has it helped me. So if you don't have insurance, there are a lot of people who do cash pay. There's a lot of like online uh, virtual therapists now that really charge an affordable rate. And then if you have insurance, you know, finding an eating disorder specialist, it's actually kind of rare for a therapist to be specialized in eating disorders, but they're out there. So that's my advice to you on that. I want to really quickly delineate some different kinds of eating disorders. I am not a expert by any means on all of this, but I do know quite a bit from having one myself. So if I'm wrong, sorry, I didn't really, you know, consult the literature on this since this is more a personal anecdote today. Um, bulimia is pretty self-explanatory as a binging and purging where you overeat and then you purge that food into the toilet or a bag or whatever it is at your disposal. Um, there's other forms of bulimia, which involve using laxatives. Um, it's traditionally, I just found out it's categorized as a type of bulimia where you binge and then you use excessive amount of laxatives to remove the food from your system. Um, there's orthorexia, which is an obsession with eating healthy food. And when you don't eat that healthy food, you have those negative self-talk and feelings. There's, um, exorexia, exercise-rexia, where you use exercise as a means to negate the calories that you ate. So I ate 500 calories, so I'm going to exercise for 600 calories to, you know, be in a negative situation. There is anorexia, which is restricting yourself of eating food for a set amount of time, whether it's, you know, days, hours, whatever that may be. So, of the disorders of eating, that is what I know of. If there's more, enlighten me, please. But like I said, all of them do have a tie-in with negative emotional constructs and negative self-talk and feelings. And as I've stated, not all eating disorders are related to physical appearance. It can 100% be emotional-based, and it can also 100% be a body dysmorphia which is, you know, where you see yourself different as perceived. Oh my God, I'm sorry. And there's just straight binge eating with no other voluntary behaviors post the binge eating where you just eat in excess as an eating disorder. Um, 
so that's kind of where I'm at with that. And I would like to address questions that I got on Instagram and have a little dialogue about that now. The first question I have is someone asked if they have a past with eating disorder and body dysmorphia, is competing an automatic bad idea? I would say yes and no. I would say yes if you are going in a weight-restricted sport and you're automatically like, all right, I weigh 155 pounds. I need to be in the 148. And you're already setting yourself up to be in a situation where the weight and the control and the aspects of your body and your eating are coming into play. If you're doing a weight-restricted sport and you're like, I'm going to be whatever weight I am and walk on and, you know, that's it. That would be a healthier version of so. Now, as far as like bodybuilding goes, that is a very physical sport that you have to restrict your weight and do a lot of, you know, things on the extreme and to be prepared for the competition. So if you don't have strategies or coping mechanisms or things in place where you are at a healthy state with food, then I don't think it's a good idea. Um, be, me, myself being in recovery, I'm at the point now where dieting is still a slight trigger where I get those obsessive intrusive thoughts at times, but 80% of the time I'm all right, which to me, like I said, that is probably how my recovery will look for the rest of my life. So just a small aside, I've been a 148 pounder in competition since I started uh, competing three years ago in powerlifting. And I've just made the decision that I will never be a 148 pounder again. Um, My body has grown and it's not a bad thing at all. Like when I started powerlifting, I didn't get any kind of body scanning or imaging or anything like that. But recently I did. And right now I currently carry 136 pounds of lean muscle tissue and 6.8 pounds of bone. So let's add those up. That's, I will say, relatively 143 pounds. That doesn't include skin, organs, or water. There ain't no healthy way that I'm going to be a 148. Could I do it and remove the water and diet down and all that? Yes, I did. For Bossa Bosses about eight weeks ago, I dieted from 162 pounds to 145 pounds, and it was miserable over 10 weeks. Uh, I was so focused on the competition and like winning and being in this weight class that I really didn't think about food in that way. But moving forward, I decided that I don't ever want to do that because it did affect my performance. It always affects my performance. And it does make it harder to, you know, live a normal life and do all of those things. Am I saying just like, be whatever weight you want to be, whether it's 500 pounds or 100 pounds? Not really, because, you know, life is life and people want to look and feel a certain way. But I will say that, you know, pigeonholing yourself into making a weight class or looking a certain way when your relationship with food is not healthy, then that would not be a good choice in my professional opinion. Like I said about my first bodybuilding show and leading up to that first bodybuilding show, I was binging and purging like every day. Although I was categorizing in my fitness pal what I would be eating from today all the way through next Thursday, I was also eating all these unplanned meals and binging and purging them all up anyways. It was not a good time to be in my mind or my body, but it also wasn't healthy whatsoever. And having that pressure to perform and compete and to be that certain physical look added an additional layer of stress on top of the emotional turmoil that I was going through. 
Next question is, binge eating, I've gotten better, but how do you cope with have having, having doing it for a long time? So I think this is kind of like a self-healing and reflection process that needs to happen of discovering, you know, why you were binge eating in the first place, bringing out some positives of what you've done to cope and change your world and your life and maybe journaling that, maybe making a board, as corny as it sounds, but making a board of, you know, the positives and the negatives and the neutrals or what you'd like to see from the future, what you've learned from your experience and growth to reflect on. Sometimes a visual representation of an emotional state can be powerful. And I think you can't just say like one day, oh, it's over. And if you didn't, take any time to reflect or to internalize or externalize what you are and were going through, then I feel like your body won't be fully healed emotionally. So I would recommend taking some kind of action for yourself. And maybe it could just be in the form of writing yourself a letter. I've done this before where I wrote my future self a letter of all of the things I wanted to do and be when I grew up. I think I still have it somewhere. I would love to read it. Um, and it was, it was a letter of like self-expression and love and joy and all of the things that I'm positive about for who I am. And it's corny as fuck. And that's why you do it alone in privacy and don't tell anybody about it. So they don't think you're a weirdo, but, um, it can be very, very helpful, beneficial and therapeutic to a process. Next question, I am bulimic and in recovery, and I'm having difficulty accepting not eating in a deficit advice. So this is a good one. Um, That's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm at a point where I'm not really dieting. I'm not really restricting. And what I don't want is I don't want to gain, you know, like a lot of weight. And I'm not talking about pounds on the scale because right now for me, I've totally realized that's relative because I have other people I'm friends with that they weigh the same and their bodies look so different. For example, my friend China White, y'all may know her, owner of Riot Gear, badass bitch, one of my clients on Team Veggie. So she, I think she just uh, got into the 160s. She weighs 168. And after this weekend at the LA Fit Expo, I weighed in at 160 and I ate everything I could to get to 168 because mass moves mass. The heavier you are on the platform, the better. And she was like, holy shit, I can't believe we weigh the same right now. And our bodies look absolutely completely different. You wouldn't really look at both of us and be like, you guys weigh exactly the same. So it's just so, so relative. But I think being comfortable with yourself and... I've kind of set like a mental upper limit of, you know, this is the way I want my body to look and this is the way I want my body to feel and I'm going to fuel it as necessary. So something I do that I think is a good strategy is I don't like measuring and weighing and logging my food every day because that is something I feel that plays into my disordered eating and my obtrusive food thoughts. So what I will do is I will generally eat the same thing every day. So maybe I go through and I go in my fitness pal and I log it all once and kind of see where the macros are. And then maybe I have like a training day and a non-training day of food. And I just generally eat the training day on training days and the non-training day on non. And I know within reason, you know, maybe like 100 calories or so that it's typically the same. I hate doing the same workout twice, but I don't mind eating the same food every single day. And then that once a week, I get that calorie bump where I just do whatever it is I want for a meal. 
Um, so to me, that's a healthy way that I kind of am in that surplus without going overboard because there's also this, you guys, like I said, we're, you know, a food society and a physical culture and all of that stuff. But there's also like, everybody can have some kind of disordered relationship with food, whether it's like you're upset at the way you look physically, um, or you just, it might not be in the form of an actual eating disorder, but there's some kind of normalcy when it comes to some kind of fucked up with food. Everybody's experienced it at least one point in time or the other. And it's normal and okay to want to look and feel a certain way. But like I said, when it becomes an issue is when it is followed up with those feelings of negativity, self-talk, and hatred. Our next question is comfort eating, battling binging and starving, and not being able to find the median. So comfort eating, I kind of address this by saying maybe there's something else you need to do to get out of your comfort zone besides just sitting there and eating yourself to self-soothe. Maybe you just change your mental go-to of when I'm upset, I do this. So I learned a very hard lesson in grad school, and it's the 24-hour rule. Whenever you're pissed the fuck off at somebody, in a professional sense, you want to wait at least 24 hours to give them the fuck you. Because usually in 24 hours, you're cool, you're cooler, calmer, and more collected, so you can professionally tell them to fuck off instead of saying something inappropriate and heated, which I did in grad school. And then I got an academic behavioral, not academic, sorry, behavioral probation where I had to have bi-weekly meetings with the fucking dean of the doctor of physical therapy school because... I didn't tell this teacher to fuck off, but I kind of told her to fuck off. Um, so I've kind of applied that hard lesson learned to food. So, you know, you're upset or you're going through something and you want to comfort eat to self-soothe those emotions. Go for a 15-minute walk. Go take a shower. Go do some sort of activity that gives you a cooling off period to mentally reframe and think about the actions you're about to do before you do it. Another thing that, another strategy, um, I kind of mentioned it before, but it's a little different. I make sure now as much as possible that I sit down and eat. Um, comfort and binge eating is very easy to do when you're like standing at the fridge, picking at things, or you're, you know, sitting there and, you know, just dip in your hand in the pot and just keep going. So I make sure I sit down at the table with my food and being in an undistracted environment, AKA no TV, no something else that's going to kind of take away from the mindfulness of you at your plate or bowl is in my opinion, a really good strategy to kind of stop that vicious cycle or to at least make a conscious decision instead of stepping away after you're done with binge eating and feeling like you had no control of that situation. So those are strategies to preemptively give you control and power over the situation. Another question I have is reverse dieting and body image issues that come from being off of bodybuilding season. It fucks you up and reverse dieting for months and you want to binge like a psycho after. Great questions. So this one's really, really difficult. I experienced this slightly from Bossa Bosses to the LA Fit Expo because my body fat was so low. I was so lean and it takes months to get like that, like stage ready. You know, you get lean, you get dry, all that shit. And you're like, oh my God, I have abs for like 36 seconds. 
and then you eat two days and they're gone. I think for me, and this is not applicable to everyone, but it's realizing that that is not sustainable and it's not normal and it's not manageable for, you know, the average human being, not the, uh, you know, Instagram fit model celebrity, because that's what is advertised and that's what is seen as quote unquote the norm in the fitness industry. And people want to look and feel like that. And it does feel weird. You know, your pants are fitting one way and the next day they're fitting another. And it took so long to get there and it is so rapid that it goes away. But it needs to be a mental assertion of how you want to look and feel and what is normal for you. Like rationalize those thoughts. Like, is it normal for me to be 10% body fat? Is it normal for me to have a body that looks like this? Do I even feel good? Do I feel energized? So in what state does your body feel the best? In what state are you sleeping well? Because when you have low body fat, it actually can disturb your sleep and make you sleep less um, for females more than males. Um, You know, are you at loss of your period because of your body fat? Are, is your hair falling out because of, you know, maybe malnutrition or something like that? So, you know, think of the emotions tied to the feelings, like enjoying life and being able to live with some kind of normalcy because everybody knows the bodybuilder that brings their Tupperware to the, to the diner, that's not your first choice. Let's be honest. It's, you know, necessity for the time and situation at hand. So in my opinion, that's more of just that acceptance of this is who I want to be and this is what I want to look like, regardless of if the mirror is a little shocking right now. So in my opinion, I would say stay away from the scale and wear clothes that feel comfortable so that you can not, you know, feel shocked or something. Like if you were wearing something that was already tight and then you put it on after you've gained a few LBs and then you feel bad about yourself. And also maybe making a list of positives of things that aren't necessarily physical attributes of yourself and what you like about yourself. Like name five things that you love about yourself that don't have to do with the way you look. Cause I'm sure you can in fucking 30 seconds and name five things about your body that are amazing when you have abs. Probably just the fact that you have abs because everything else feels like shit. Because I don't, I did. As far as reverse dieting goes with, you know, wanting to just binge and let it go, because that is so hard. You diet for so long to get on stage for bodybuilding, and then it's over, and you're like, all right, catharsis, let's just go, buffet, all the time. But if you do that, your body will be like, whoa, 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 what is going on Yeah, And uh, all those, that surplus of calories will very quickly be stored as fat because your body doesn't know what to do with all that extra energy at this time. So slowly reverse dieting and ramping up your calories into, you know, that normal range. But for me, my, you know, vision and the way I'm successful with that is I give myself that one day cheat day and, you know, look forward to that meal and plan that meal and, you know, make it something not necessarily that you like fantasize and obsess over, but make it something that's enjoyable. Make it like a date night and make, you know, a celebration out of it so that you can have that moment and that you don't feel like you're being, you know, neglected again and all of those, those fears that go along with that and making you want to binge more. Someone asked, do you recommend counseling even if the eating disorder does not exist anymore? As I've stated, absolutely. I've had more help and clarity on my eating disorder now than I have ever had. 
Another question. I don't struggle it with it anymore, but food still consumes my thoughts. I'm sorry, but the nature of this question makes it seem as if you still struggle with it. Um, again, I think the journaling or something that you can do to be present and mindful in the moment so that you're not, you know, doing an activity, you're at work and what you're doing is thinking about your next meal or what you're going to eat for breakfast tomorrow or something like that. Um, something that it's, it's kind of on the extreme end and maybe this could be clarity and maybe not. Maybe getting a meal prep service that is full and nutritious with the macros that you need and kind of eating that for a couple weeks to take away the thought of what am I going to do? Go into the store. I need to cook this. I need to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And then it's already all taken care of with healthful nutrition and macros. There are a lot of companies that, you know, you can pre-select the macro ranges and things like that. I don't know. That's just a thought and suggestion. But additionally, you know, some of the strategies that maybe I suggested throughout this podcast thus far, you can use as other kind of mindful activities to bring yourself to the present moment as opposed to thinking about future food or current food. How do you handle wanting to lean out but not diet? This is difficult. Yes, it's the million dollar conundrum question because a lot of people, as soon as they start restricting calories or food, that's when the intrusive thoughts and obsessive compulsive food related thoughts take over. So I just know for me personally with my history of eating disorder that dieting is a severe trigger to make me have those obsessive thoughts where I just want to binge because I know I can't. Um, restricting food groups is not a good way to, to diet. Let me just say that. Um, that's a that's some kind of form of eating disorder. My uh, therapist was very inquisitive as to why I'm a vegetarian because a lot of people become vegans or vegetarians or cut out. You know, um, I actually have a friend who we were talking about our eating disorders and she convinced herself she had celiac disease and that cut out that whole food group. Um, so that's not a healthy way of, you know, coping with your food fears. But what I would say is maybe the strategy that I do where you pick what you're going to eat, you count up the macros and you relatively eat within that parameter. And maybe it's just something as simple as you always have a bedtime snack or you always have a snack or something after your breakfast. And maybe it's just as simple as like cutting and removing that one item of food as opposed to quote unquote going on a diet. You just lifestyle modification. Or maybe it's just increasing your activity. Like I realize, you know, when I'm at work at lunch, I sit and I eat, whereas I could go outside and walk. And, you know, just giving yourself that extra 30 minutes of, you know, exercise, getting the blood to the body and the brain and the muscles and kind of stimulating yourself in another way. So those are my suggestions there. Effects on prolonged caloric deficit and the effects on weight loss long term. So this is interesting. Your body wants homeostasis and the evidence does show that even if pretty much if you fuck yourself up like your thyroid and all of that or your gut from taking excess laxatives, maybe you were taking T3 and Clen and all of these, you know, stimulants and things like that, your body will naturally rebound. I'm sure there's exceptions to the rule where some people, you know, have 
experience negative side effects that don't necessarily turn around. But in general, the evidence supports that your body will return to its normal and natural state of being able to perform. Um, as far as being in a caloric deficit, some of the things I mentioned already, you know, from malnutrition could be hair loss, anemia, um, amenorrhea, which is the loss of your period as a female, um, being tired, uh, your teeth can start to decay, um, your skin can be flaky and dry, and all of those things are characteristics of malnutrition and can be side effects and consequences of having an eating disorder. Can they go away? Absolutely. Another question. How do I avoid falling into these things after a prep? So I'm assuming this person's asking about like binge eating and all of that stuff. So I would also say have a plan. Maybe consult a therapist, honestly, just for like post-show, um, you know, nutrition and eating. And it's not just like, how do I reverse diet? It's how do I deal with the psychological effects of being on a long-term diet, my body image, and now my, you know, dysmorphia with how I look at food, how I look at myself. Um, I don't think, you know, we're in a culture where like any kind of aberrant behavior from the norm is considered weird or whatever, but fuck that. Because you go to bed in your own sheets and you wake up there, nobody else, maybe your significant other, well, hopefully, but it's not, you know, it's, it's more powerful to take control of those aspects of your life than to hide in shame and to feel like you're the only one because you're not. So I think a good idea would be if you know you're prepping for a show and in the past or you feel in right currently that you have a disordered relationship with how your body looks, how your brain is feeling about your body or about food, seeking help and having a plan for how do I successfully transition out of this back into regular life. Because let's be honest, when you're prepping for a show or a meet, you don't have a normal life. You don't get to do normal social, you know, activities and enjoy them in the same way, whether you have disordered eating or not. It takes over. If you are really trying and you want to be successful, it really takes over those aspects of your life. Another question is how do cheat meals affect disordered eating? So for me personally, they're uh, a good thing now. Um, when I make that conscious and mental decision that I'm going to do that cheat. I try not to overeat to where I feel disgusting, but it's a mental and emotional release and success and victory for me. For some people, it can be a trigger. So I don't think that maybe your cheat meal looks different. Maybe your cheat meal isn't six double doubles in and out or whatever, or six veggie burgers if you're a veggie. Um, maybe it just looks like something you normally don't have on your menu, but it's like, you know, you make a serving of pasta at your house with some a piece of garlic bread. So it's something that's a calorie bump, it's something that's a cheat, it's something that's a variety, but it's not necessarily going out to a restaurant and they give you this huge portion size that you don't feel like you can control or you don't feel good after. That would be my two cents on that. Another question, what mental and emotional work have you had to do in order to build a healthy relationship with food? So I've basically discussed a lot of that throughout this so far, but really I feel like it's an ongoing evolutionary process for me. I feel like every day I get a little bit better at it and food is more of just something that's in my life as opposed to the main focus of my life. And honestly, even though I hadn't necessarily binged and purged for a while, I still felt like food 
totally was in control of me for a lot of different things. So building that healthy relationship and using these strategies, I would say it's gotten better over the past year. Um, has really, really helped me. Being open and honest about it with, you know, Stephen and my friends and other people in my life really, really helps. Um, just talking like, hey, I'm having a problem with this. And if you can't trust the person that you're with or your significant other, ugh, I don't know what to say about that. Because so my ex-husband, for example, he caught me throwing up once. Uh, he opened the door on me and I was in there like, ugh, you know, the, the Tim Allen thing. Um, Insert sound effect. I'll get better at that one day and I'll add some sound effects. Not today. But he basically, so I like threw up. I think I like finished throwing up and then I came and addressed the fact that he caught me. It's like getting caught jacking off when you're 14, right? I don't know. What age do boys start jacking off? Anyways, enough tangents. So I approached him about it and he was like, uh, that sucks and I don't know how to help you. I think he caught me like two or three times. And then I tried to open up and say like, hey, you know, I'm really having a problem with food. And he was just like really hands off, like, well, that's your problem. Whereas now, I mean, Stephen doesn't necessarily fully understand my disordered relationship with food because his relationship with food is not that way. But he supports me in my endeavors and like, I don't want him to have his Rice Krispie treats in the house, so he keeps them in his car because that's a fear food or that's a food that I feel like I can't control myself around. So for right now, that's my strategy is abstinence. It might not be the perfect strategy, but it's what's working for me. So I just, I really feel like it's just that evolutionary process. Another question is what determines a healthy cut versus an unhealthy one? I don't really feel like I have a good sense on this because... This can look different for anyone. Um, what someone deems as healthy or unhealthy may be the opposite in someone else's eyes. But personally, I feel like it's unhealthy when you don't feel like you're in control of your life, your emotions, or again, as I've stated, that the food is taking over your brain thoughts and you don't have any access for other aspects of your life or you don't feel like you can be present in your own world because you're obsessing about food and your cut and all of that. A couple of the other questions that I got are definitely related to questions I already addressed, um, like counting macros without being obsessed. I kind of gave you my strategies for that. Um, the signs and symptoms that indicate eating issues, I kind of talked about that. Um, rebound binge eating, talked about that. So a lot of common questions about binge eating, which I hope I addressed. And the last thing I want to address is I got a couple questions about, hey, I think someone in my world has an eating disorder or I know someone that does and how do I talk to them about it? This is difficult because if someone approached me at the time when I was really in it, I was probably binging and purging up to five or six times a day, every single day. At minimum, it would be two. Um, and that was probably for about a year straight. And if someone was like, hey, I know you're fucking throwing up. I don't know. I doubt anyone would approach me in that manner. But I probably would be really close off to it. It's just as if you know, someone's an alcoholic and they're in their disease. They don't necessarily want or are ready. But... If someone approached me and said, hey, I have noticed that things are hard for you in regards to food, and I'm not judging you, and I just want to let you know that if you need someone to talk to for any reason, I'm here, and I want you to be happy and healthy. And that's it. 
Do not insert opinions, feelings, anything. Just like, I'm here for you and I fucking love you. And that would be enough just to let that person know that they aren't alone because maybe the source of their eating disorder is that they do feel that way. Um, But it's so tough because unless they want to change or they want help, like, you know, giving them a a card to an an eating disorder clinic or something isn't really going to do it. But there are other resources out there. There's like Overeaters Anonymous that does virtual meetings on the internet. Um, Like I said, there's therapists, there's stuff like that. So that, that to me, honestly, is like the conundrum of how do you help someone that's in your world. Now, if it's someone who's really, really close to you, like your best friend, your training partner, your significant other, I think then a, a real sit-down conversation of like, these are the patterns and behaviors that I've seen, and how can I help? How can I be here for you, you know, would be the best way, not not telling them that they're doing something wrong, because in their mind, that's what they need to feel okay. Well... We've come to an end. I honestly have no idea how to tell how long I've been talking. If anyone knows how to use GarageBand and all I see is like this little tick mark that just keeps going. I'm at like 2,000 right now. I don't know what that translates to as far as minutes. So hopefully I haven't talked your ear off too long. Hopefully you've learned something or I've identified something that can help you in your world through my experience. I would love to hear feedback. DM me, veggie underscore lifter on Instagram. My email is ashleycontorno at gmail.com. You can text the gym, 424-552-7288. I keep that phone on me. Keep that thing on me, girl. But honestly, I really love these podcasts and This, to me, is a creative outlet that I'm using to help me in my world, and it's something that isn't food-related that I can, you know, not necessarily obsess about because I'm not trying to replace one habit with another, but it's something that I look forward to, and I would like to know what you guys want me to do next because this is not just for me. It's also for you, so what else do you want me to talk about? Shoot me DM write me a snail mail. I don't know, but I really, really appreciate you guys listening in if you've made it this far and have a good night, y'all.